Hello there. This is Legend. I'm Sam. I'm Amy. And we are a podcast about cryptids, urban legends, and the paranormal. So I don't know if you can tell or not with my voice, but I have a cold. And so this is what you get today. (laughs) I can't change it. So I can tell you have a cold. You can? Okay. I felt I felt like you could. But it's very congested. It feels really nicely. <laughs> How is the little one? Did she get over hers yet? Yeah, no, she's fine. She got over it in like two days, three days, maybe. How's well, your black I'm... eye? It's black. <laughs> it's getting worse. <laughs> and also you can see like because they bunked heads. So my daughter and her preschool classmate bumped heads twice i guess in one day and um so she has yeah she says that she saw him coming but he didn't see her and so he ran into her that's what she said both times um, i guess i don't know but (laughs) on her cheek there's like you can see bruising coming up like right on the top of her cheek and uh and then yeah underneath her eyes like black right there (laughs) girl's gonna have so many great stories to tell people and she's not even six my kids are a mess like they're a mess (laughs) so azure likes to scratch the kids because he's got like crazy claws and this is twice now i noticed today jamie has a giant scratch that goes from one side of the top of his forehead down past his temple (laughs) twice that he's gotten a scratch like that like since we've had asher and i'm just like oh my gosh and the back of uh val's forearm is all scratched up and mormon came home and he was like what happened you fell and she was like yeah i fell off the slide and she was like the dirt scratched me because it's pokey (laughs) (laughs) oh goodness that's so funny kids are I didn't have my first black eye until I was 31 30 I've never had a black eye never and my kids well Jamie's had one from Asher Mm -hmm. and I think this is Val's second or third (laughs) she's so spunky she's also had a broken bone and I've never had that either yeah she did she broke her arm and I broke my wrist when I was Jamie's age but not Val's age but yeah she's she is a mess she's a hot mess um are you ready yeah okay so like I said in our episode about the Warrens I'm gonna be covering a couple cases that they had a part in and I picked the Snedeker family to do first because this one in Amityville I find to be the most fascinating so you can kind of see why people are like a little bit skeptical of the Warrens um so we're gonna do the Snedeker family but I really wanted to preface this (laughs) this episode um preface I wanted to preface not preface preface (laughs) 
this episode with a pretty heavy trigger warning. Um, you know, if you've been sexually assaulted, this is probably not an episode you want to listen to. Rape is mentioned frequently and I, there's, it's mentioned throughout the entire story. So there's no real good place for me to, you know, warn you beforehand because it just keeps getting mentioned. But there is one part where they really go into the detail of it that I'll try to give a trigger warning right before then. But um, if you're sensitive to rape or sexual assault or anything like that, it's probably not the episode for you. Um, and we could see you in the next episode where I don't think there is going to be any. Um, so if you don't know, the Snedekers are the family that the haunting in Connecticut is based off of. Um, have you, have you seen that movie? I remember we talked about it, but I can't remember if you said you had. Oh yeah. yeah. Cause you saw it with Matt. Like in the apartment. way back when it first came out. Okay. So in 1986, the Snedeker family moved into a duplex rental home in Southern, yes, I was right, Southington, Connecticut. For some reason, I wanted to say Southerington, (laughs) Southern, Southington, Connecticut, Um, so that they could be closer to the hospital where their eldest son was receiving treatments. Um, It's was called the Hallahan Funeral Home previously. Uh, But at the time when they moved in, they claimed that they didn't know it was a funeral home. And that's a whole big thing we'll get into a little bit later. Um, The Snedeker family consists of Alan, the father, Carmen, the mother, their three sons, one daughter, and two nieces. The oldest son, Philip, who sometimes is referred to as Stephen and is sometimes also referred to as Matt depending on different documentaries that you watch and I think it was in an effort to like protect his identity but I'm pretty sure oh, his yeah actual given name is Philip um and I feel comfortable saying that because I also heard them use his name so it, like it the just, family yeah, so it just depends. When I watched the Sally Jesse Raphael um, episode on TV, they called him Steven. And then I watched a, another documentary with them in, from 2017, and they referred to him as Matt. But then when you read articles about it, and they and there's interviews with them, and there he's Philip. So I think Stephen was the name that he was given as like his pseudo name in um, the book that they came out with. And then I don't know why, if they just used Matt for the, that one documentary or not. So was Matt his name in the movie? I think, mm, yes, I think sounds familiar. It's either Matt or Kyle. I can't remember. I think the actor who played him might have been named Kyle. I don't know. I didn't really talk about the movie, surprisingly. There was a lot of other information. I could have made it like quite a bit longer if we talked about the differences in the movie. 
but this one's going to be pretty long as it is without without that so um so anyways like I was saying uh Philip was suffering from Hodgkin's lymphoma and uh so lymphoma is a cancer of a part of the immune system called the lymph system which is the body's like germ fighting system and there's also um (laughs) there's also what you call non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and um so I heard Carmen the mother say like she was she was happy to hear that it wasn't non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and it kind of like passed over me for a second like I it didn't register what she had said and I was talking to Mormon about it and he was like wait did he have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and I was like okay so that is a thing like I heard the mom <laughs> say it and I thought it was like just a mess up or something you know she accidentally mm-hmm. said it and he was like oh no no non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is like extremely deadly and I, what the mom was saying is that she was happy that he didn't have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma because they said that he would have only had like less than a year to live. So I guess uh-huh. when, with Hodgkin's lymphoma, he had a chance for remission, which he did end up going into later on. I feel like that's backwards. Like I, I believe you that that's how it goes, but I feel like when they named it, they named it backwards. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm I might be wrong but I I know for no it a sounds fact, right that was gonna say I know for a fact he didn't have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma every article that I read just said Hodgkin's lymphoma so I mean it's I'm very weird <laughs> it is weird and, and I don't know why they would call it non-Hodgkin's I have no idea I'm definitely not an expert with cancer but um it, it does sound backwards. Uh, okay, so I watched an episode, like I was saying, of the Sally Jesse Raphael show, which is where was a she lot- like she was like a talk show thing, right? Yeah, and I watched it, and it's from the eighties. And man, oh man, what a difference! Like, it just is so different from today. One is it political like Montel? correctness. Yeah, it's like any of those daytime Ricky Lake, like oh, any yeah, of those, like, like the paternity stuff. tests and all that stuff. Yeah, but I mean, just the political correctness, like, is so. It's just so different. It's definitely like a different time, and it was really like interesting to watch because I, I was talking to my friend Katie, and I guess she's watched a few of those shows when she was growing up, like. she would watch some of them I never watched any of those as a kid so to me like I saw Maury when I was older like you know oh yeah Maury is another one yeah yeah but I never saw like any of those other ones so I was watching and I was like damn like this is this is dramatic I because Maury's dramatic you know Jerry Springer's dramatic but I feel like those people are like paid to go on there and yeah stir shit idiots yeah but you hear the warrens are on one of these daytime television shows (laughs) and you're like well it's like serious business um so i watched an episode of the sally jesse Raphael show and like i was saying this is where a majority of this information comes from 
I did get um other things um from that other documentary on YouTube, which I'll I'll list. It's in the sources and a couple other articles like Atlas Obscura, um, and I think Puzzle Box Horror or something like that. So Al and Carmen, along with their niece Kelly and their son Michael appeared on the show and they told their story about what happened when they moved into the duplex um when the family was and also sorry one more side note if things (laughs) are like really sporadic it was really hard to figure out where to put some stuff when I found additional information like where it fit in so there might be a lot of like back and forth or one subject there's going to be additional information like later on it was just really hard to figure out how to frame it when you have like such good source I don't know it's hard to explain (laughs) but um okay so first when the Snedeker family was touring the home they noticed a lot of mortuary tools like drains blood drains toe tags wax makeup for corpses a medical gurney and an apparatus for lifting coffins from the basement to the first floor those would be some red flags oh for sure. And I was thinking that this entire time, like, you didn't know it was a funeral home. Okay. But then why didn't you ask about this stuff? And we'll get into all of that later on. <laughs> so Carmen also claims that there was a bloody roll down there, like a bed roll. And it was bloody. And I'm, and then I say, I'm not sure why they still decided to move into that home, but they did. No. And the family claims that when they moved in, they did not realize, like I said, that the duplex used to be a funeral home. Um, And there's a lot of controversy over this fact, and we'll get into that later. I made a nice list at the end. Oh, yay. All the controversial things. (laughs) Um, The first day that the Snedeker family had moved into the house, Carmen says that Philip, her eldest son, came up to her and said, quote, we have to leave here immediately. The house is evil. Something bad is going to happen if we don't leave, end quote. Carmen says that she never believed in ghosts or the paranormal. She just thought that they were things from people's imaginations. So she kind of blew off what they, that he had said. And she goes on to say that immediately when they moved in, they started to hear strange voices, loud music, and footsteps. Although when they would check the house, there was no one there. Okay, so a little after, a little over a year when they lived in the house, Carmen says that this is when her mind was changed about believing in the paranormal. And this is where I'm going to give a trigger warning. For the next little bit is when rape and sodomy are going to get brought up a little bit. Uh, Well, a lot. (laughs) Carmen says that after Kelly and Trish, her nieces, moved in with them things really started to happen one night after kelly had gotten home from a date kelly went to bed and she says something happened to her on the sally jesse Raphael show kelly starts to try to tell the story but she gets very emotional understandably um so carmen takes over uh for her while holding her hand and carmen says that when kelly was lying in bed she began to feel something pulling at her undergarments and touching her privates kelly reached over for her rosary 
Um, but the cross fell off of it. So she ran to Carmen's room shouting, Aunt Carmen, Aunt Carmen, it's happening again. So if you can't tell, this isn't the first time like that something like this has happened to Kelly in the house. But this is the first time that Carmen believes that it's happening to her. So Kelly goes on to say that the entity um, that's doing these things doesn't really have a form. It's just a smoky black mass. She said that it was pulling her bra strap down. So she was lying like on her side. Mm -hmm. The shoulder that was up. She said that the entity was kept pulling her bra strap down and she would pull pull it back up and then it would just pull it back down again and so she said when she grabbed her rosary she felt the entity trying to pry it out of her like fist um and later on we'll kind of talk about that because I noticed something part of the controversy part Ah. um so we'll talk about that a little bit later um And so when she got up to run to Carmen, Carmen had brought her Bible into Kelly's room and they started reading from it. Then Kelly wrapped her hands around Carmen's waist. And that is when Carmen says that she saw an arm. um, More specifically, she says she saw knuckles, joints, and a wrist under Kelly's nightgown, like from the outline of her fabric, like it was pressed against the fabric. That's creepy. Yeah, and then she says she saw it disappear into the wall, which I don't know how it like to like come out of her nightgown and go into the wall. Maybe. Um, so then she says after that she just ran to uh, the chapel with Kelly, which I don't know if I mentioned it, but their um living room, I believe. It was either their living room or their kitchen, used to be the chapel of the um uh funeral home carmen said that a few other things had happened to kelly and on the show kelly says that the covers would get pulled off her bed she would hear voices she would hear scratching on the walls and that the bed would quote breathe um yeah by breathing she means that the bed would move like up and down and later in the show carmen would describe the same thing as the bed having a pulse so now we get into carmen and al's experience with the entity and oh lord it's a lot uh and i don't mean it's a lot like their story is like a lot i just mean the 80s was (laughs) a lot Uh, so sally jesse Raphael literally had a bed set up on the stage and Carmen and Al got into it and they didn't reenact anything like that happened to them thank god but (laughs) they um just literally told the story of what happened that I'm about to tell you in the bed which one if you're a survivor of sexual assault or rape which is what I'm about to talk about. That must be so triggering to yes. sit in a bed and talk about it in front of an audience, which I'm not saying that it didn't happen to them. 
And I'm not saying that it did. But I I have a hard time believing what happened to them for a lot of reasons that we'll discuss later. But I definitely don't want to discredit somebody who has said that they've been sexually assaulted, whether it was by an entity or not. Like, I I don't want to really speak on that. But it just kind of feels on, like they're mocking it a bit, though. Well, the show for sure. Like, I feel like they're not taking like it. Whether or not you believe that it happened to them, they're saying it did, and so yeah. I feel like putting a bed and having them sit in it under the covers, putting them is, in that situation is just rude. It is. I feel like for a act, sexual assault survivor or a rape survivor like that has to be seriously triggering it did not seem to bother them al and carmen one bit but i still like everyone handles things differently true um so yeah i just i just felt like it was really distasteful and i do have a picture of it of them sitting in the bed um that will be posted to our blog post but yeah I just I saw that when they panned over and they showed that bed I was seriously like oh my motherfucking god yeah like that's just that's just a lot so anyways they walk over and they get into this bed under the covers and everything um and so Al starts to tell his story about how one night he woke up in the middle of the night to loud music which he said would wake him up a lot since they moved in and um even though he couldn't figure out where it was coming from and he never could find like who was playing any music he would get up every single time he heard it and he would go check the house and basically as time went on he would start bringing a baseball bat with him and then eventually he got so scared he would start bringing a gun and he said that he told Carmen that he was afraid that he was going to accidentally shoot one of his kids because he was so scared. Then why bring the gun? Which, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say next. Like, literally, it's terrifying. Why would you do, why would you? Like, if it's happening every single night, clearly someone's not breaking into your house every single night. Like, yeah, the gun's not going to help you against that. Yeah. So anyways... Um, he goes back to telling the story of this particular night where he was woken up by the music again and he could hear the voices of three men talking to each other. He says they sounded like older men and the music that was playing sounded like it was from the 30s. He says that when he woke up, he felt this weird sensation at his feet and he went to wake up Carmen, but she was asleep already. And he says that he felt this stinging penetration to his anal area. He says that he was trying to scream for Carmen uh, for help, but that he couldn't move. He says that after a while it stopped and he was able to move again and he was able to wake up Carmen. And when Carmen woke up, he told her um, that he thought he was just sodomized by a demon. Okay. Okay. And then, by the way, Alan Carmen claimed that this entity is a succubus or an incubus. And if you don't know what succubi or their male counterparts incubi are, 
They are demons that appear in people's dreams to seduce them with sexual activity. So succubi are female and usually seduce men and incubi are male and usually seduce women. They don't say anything else like about them. It was just like an off comment that they thought it was a incubus. I mean, he was looking for answers, so. Yeah. And he, I mean, but they don't say why they think that. They don't go into it. They literally just offhandedly say it's not a ghost. It's a incubus. Hmm. Um, and then another thing that they do keep saying over and over again during the show is they say that ghosts are sexless. So I don't know. I don't know why they were saying that or what, but that was that just a side super note. interesting. Yeah. So then Carmen tells her story. And she says basically the same thing happened to her um, that Al had said happened to him. Um, That there was so much penetrating pain and there was no pleasure whatsoever. She makes that really clear that it was not pleasurable at all. She says that when she would be sexually assaulted by the entity that it would laugh. She also says it was the most crippling thing she had ever experienced and that she wouldn't wish it on anyone. Later on in the show... She says that once once she ran down the street with Kelly and uh, the entire way she was being sodomized by the entity. That sounds very difficult. It does. I was thinking that too, that it's, it sounds difficult and horrible. Horrible. So a little bit later in the show, an audience member asks if any of the Snedekers ever went to the hospital to have themselves medically examined for any signs of rape or sexual assault. And Carmen says pretty bluntly, quote, why would we? I mean, we couldn't see it. How did we expect anyone else to believe us? End quote. Mm. The audience member goes on to say, quote, but you felt a stinging pain, end quote. And Al answers this time and says, yes, but it wasn't like a normal rape, not a person to person type. So I'm not sure what, like, that means necessarily. Maybe, like, there wouldn't be fluids. Yeah, I guess that, I mean, honestly, if you can't feel or see. But I think what the audience member was more getting at was, like, was there trauma to the area, you know? Yeah. Like, but I think, yeah, right, that he was probably thinking, well, there's nothing there there wouldn't be fluid or anything like that that's probably what he was thinking but i do get the point from the audience number like if yeah. you're saying that it hurt then it very well could have left like a actual mark, right? marks like bruises scratches ripping all sorts of stuff exactly which is evidence like as unpleasant as that is and probably like slightly embarrassing you know too but it is evidence yeah and, you know, coming from their side, like, going and getting this examined, and then if they do say, like, yeah, there's been something going on here, and they don't have absolutely anything to say, like, well, it was mm-hmm. this person or that person, because yeah. it wasn't a person. <laughs> exactly, and yeah, you don't want to say, like, it was a ghost, like. Yeah, because I you get locked imagine- up. <laughs> yeah, that, well, she said that too. She said, uh, you know, they would probably have institutionalized them had they said anything. 
So Sally Jesse Raphael asks Michael, the Snedeker's son, about what he saw in the house. And he says that the entity would take on different appearances. He says that he saw the entity on several occasions and that the first time he saw it, it was just a pair of cat-like eyes on the ceiling looking down at him. He says that one time it took on the appearance of his little sister. Oh, says that the light bulbs had been taken out of all the lights, which they actually show in The Haunting in Connecticut. But um, in The Haunting in Connecticut, it shows, like, the dad being drunk and, like, pissed off that all the lights were in. Yeah. And, like, belligerently going around the house taking out all the light bulbs. That's not what happened. Al did take them out because he noticed that the family was leaving the lights on all night because they were scared, <laughs> but he wasn't like drunk or, you know, being belligerent or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so he did take it off, uh, take the lights out and Michael noticed that the lights were flickering on and off. And so he said he looked over uh, to see what was going on and he saw his little sister Jenny flicking the light switch on and off and she was laughing. So mind you, there's no light bulbs. <laughs> um then he says she ran out of the room and up the stairs he went into the kitchen where carmen and one of his cousins were and asked if jenny had just run through there and they said no that she had been in her bed all night they go on to talk about how the entity had many voices that sometimes it would imitate the kids voices and when carmen would go see which kid was calling her it would end up being a dark smoke-like figure that would be laughing at her Carmen said at other times it would have a deep raspy voice that would insult you or shout profanities. Um, (laughs) They also claimed to smell foul odors such as rotting meat and human feces. What about cat pee? No mention of cat pee that I found. Oh, I have to tell you real quick. I was driving to work Mm -hmm. and I must have passed some of those bushes and not realized it because I was just like, (laughs) it smells like cat pee there's a demon (laughs) (laughs) or maybe it was just because i was going to work but (laughs) very evil (laughs) oh man the smell of cat pee is literally disgusting but nope no mention of cat pee in here just human feces okay yum uh they would sometimes see a woman in the house they would also see a little boy in pajamas that would come out of the walls um they said they think the little boy just wanted to play and he didn't seem evil at all um the kids did say that he would take toys from them and that if he took the toy he would never bring it back um there was another story that the boys saw three men hovering over a robot toy and one of the boys yelled for his brother and the three men, one of the three men grabbed the toy and smashed it on the floor. Al, Freaking rude. I know. Al ended up coming downstairs with a shotgun. And um, they they say that, like, this is when Al, like, really believed them that there was ghosts. I don't know why, because kids break shit all of the time and lie yes. about it. And why is he going around with a freaking gun? <laughs> I know. If it's a spirit, the gun isn't going to do anything to it. I know. But yeah, he he says, uh, well, they said that this was when, because this, that 
bit of information came from the later interview and by that point um alan carmen had caught in a divorce so he wasn't in it Uh um there was another entity they saw that was just a floating head with long hair and he had a scar down half of his face and then one half of his face was smooth like metal and his eyes were just round black circles and one of the boys said that this was like the scariest one to him when did trans not transformers terminator come out oh i don't know that's a good question but i i guess i could see that though maybe they were influenced i could see that so according to philip he would see shadow figures and a man in a pinstripe suit with white hair that would walk around his room in the basement in the dark and stare at him it said that he was so terrified of sleeping in the basement room that he begged to stay at the hospital, which is really, really sad. That is really sad. It's also said that Philip's personality changed drastically um, after they moved into the apartment or the duplex. Uh, his interests and his taste changed. He would wear leather and he would become um, or he became extremely interested in the occult. He would also get violent with his parents. At one point, he broke into the neighbor's house to steal a gun to kill Al, which, by the way, they referred to Al in one article as his stepdad. So I don't know if he's just Philip's stepdad, all the kids' stepdads, or some of the kids' stepdads, but Mm. he is for sure, I think, Philip's stepdad, at least. So he went to go, he wanted to kill Al. With all um, the guns around, why did he have to break into the neighbor's house? <laughs> you, <laughs> I have no idea. Maybe, well, no, I doubt it, but maybe they kept the guns locked up in a cabinet or something. I, yes. I doubt That's it. That's why they but... were so readily available yeah. for the ghosts. Yeah. So, Philip is also alleged to have uh, assaulted his female cousin, and we'll get into that later. Um... And after they sent Philip to the psychiatric hospital is when they claimed that the entity started to hassle, like, the whole family. Like, at first it seemed like it was just Philip. Now it's everybody. And I want to point out that Carmen says that she sent Philip to the psychiatric hospital and to a priest once a week for a while. Okay. Once when Carmen was mopping the floor, she put the mop like she put the mop in the bucket got it wet put it to the floor to get ready to mop and she said that the water from the mop on the floor turned red and became blood she said that there was still a female carpenter in the house doing some work and so she went to get the carpenter and she asked her what she saw and she said that the carpenter got down looked really close at it and then left and never came back (laughs) There was another incident where Carmen says that her shower curtain quickly wrapped around her and she couldn't get away from it. And she stated that it was trying to kill her. Nice. Uh, so now we're going to get into a big source of contention with the Snedekers. Sally asks, um, Sally uh, from the Sally Jesse Raphael show asks them why they didn't just leave the house understandable that's a big question i'd ask 
Yes. And later on in the show, an audience member also asks the same question and she essentially accuses them of being bad parents because they have kids that they should be worrying about. And if people are, you know, getting sexually assaulted in the house, you know, you would not want to put your kids in that situation. Yeah, I get that. So Carmen's answer was that it didn't matter where they were, that the entity would follow them. She said that while she was at work, her computer would shut down or her phone would also shut down. And when Al went to work one time, he parked the car outside of the building and went inside for a few moments Um. And then he went inside and then a few moments later, the car had started itself and drove into the building. (laughs) Yeah, he probably (laughs) left it running. (laughs) I don't know what happened, but I feel like if these things happened, there should be proof, right? Like, where's the damage to the building? I don't know. Um, Carmen claims to have been possessed at one point by the entity. She says that she and Al were outside kidding around and then she decided to come inside to lay down and suddenly she was no longer in her room. Well, I guess she was, she knew she was in her room at first, but everything was like pitch black. She couldn't see anything. And, uh, she also drew sketches of everything I'm about to tell you. Ooh. I mean, If you want to see them, they're out there. (laughs) She said she couldn't feel the temperature of her skin. She couldn't hear herself speak and she couldn't see anything but blackness. She says that the entity opened up a hole and just started shouting obscenities at her. So she began to pray, but her praying only made it worse. Then she said she was in a place called Ethram. I tried to find any like anything about Ephraim, Ephraim, sorry. Um, I didn't know if maybe it was a reference to like a Bible verse yeah. or I couldn't find anything. I Googled it and she didn't say anything. She just said she was in a place called Ephraim. Hmm. So, doesn't sound like a real place. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And um, she says, quote, it is a desert road of hot tears, end quote. Oh, yeah, that sounds rough. (laughs) She said she could feel all these human negative emotions and she could see like a bunch of souls. And she also said that she couldn't help them because someone had warned her to stay on the road. She doesn't say who that someone was. Um, She also claimed she was there for eight hours. How did she know? A dream? She didn't say, but eight hours, apparently. Um, after this experience is when Carmen decided to call the Warrens. Apparently, a coworker of hers had given her their number after she had been talking to the coworker about it, but she had just kept the number and hadn't called them until this point. The Warrens, along with three re- researchers, one of them being their nephew, stayed at the Snedeker's home for nine and a half weeks. Wow. Carmen, yeah, and they stayed every single day. Wow. Says them. That's intense. That's a lot of guests. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where'd they all sleep? Um, they 
in one of the interviews they were actually talking about it and they had like I don't know if they were mattresses or sleeping bags or something like all in the living room and they were all just sleeping in the living room on the floor yes Carmen says that they experienced things from the very first day that they were there and while the Warrens are there they decide to have an exorcism performed on the house but this is another source of contention with the Senecas and the Warrens. An audience member states that the priest they had listed in the newspaper as having come and done the exorcism adamantly denies that they ever had been in that house oh. or that an exorcism was performed. Um, when Ed Warren was asked about it, he said that it was performed by a priest that he only referred to as Father A., and everyone was like, well, if it was done, why can't you tell us who did it? He says that the priest prefers to stay anonymous. But then he says that the priest was on an episode of 2020 and a few other talk shows. So I'm not really sure why they couldn't say his name. Yeah. I mean, and maybe we'll he didn't want to be later. associated with them or something. Probably not. <laughs> but, uh, um, We'll get into that a little bit later, too. It's on my list of <laughs> things. Um, on, this, on the Sally Jesse Raphael show, they had three neighbors on the stage that didn't believe the Seneca story whatsoever. One name, neighbor named Richard, who lived in the Seneca's apartment at the time of the show, said that he had never experienced a single thing. Another neighbor, uh, Yvonne, said that the landlord said the Senecas were behind on their rent and the stories about the paranormal didn't start coming out until they got behind, mm. um, which is, I will talk about too. <laughs> uh, and so they were all just basically like going at it with it. And Ed Warren, he was the worst of them all. Like he was <laughs> shouting over everybody and just being very aggressive but not really giving any proof mm. of anything so last but not least uh, from the Sally Jesse Raphael show they had mother fucking Joe Nickel on it and I totally forgot about this part and literally when I was watching the show and he his name came up I literally fucking screamed and Mormon came in the room and was like, who's Joe Nickel? So if you don't remember who Joe Nickel was, I brought him up in the episode of Champ. Yes, um, you did. He was the skeptic slash magician slash private <laughs> investigator slash most coolest person on earth. <laughs> um, so he is a skeptical paranormal researcher. That's what he does. And he is the motherfucking shit. So... <laughs> And this just proved it to me. Seeing him and watching him just literally solidified his awesomeness like one of my heroes. <laughs> so, and he's just super classy. So, anyways, he was sitting right next to Ed Warren on stage. And as soon as it, it was Joe Nichols' turn to talk, Ed Warren was just shouting Ugh, over him. I hate that. Like, yes and so joe said this was okay so this was before uh ed started shouting so joe said um 
because Sally asked him, do you believe that the Snedeker's home is haunted or was haunted or whatever? And he says, quote, I've never been in a house I thought was haunted and the Warrens have never been in a house they didn't think was haunted. <laughs> Mic drop. Oh, that's okay, so that's when Ed started shouting over Oh, him. yeah, definitely. <laughs> and Joe says, quote, try to show a little class you're on national tv (laughs) just like that too like calm like and he's like adjusting his like suit thing and and he's just looking down and he's just like try to show a little class and I'm just like damn um and so he and he's just keeping the super calm demeanor he's just gold like I just I fucking love him and so the funny part is is that he other than that, he didn't really get to say anything. That's all he really got to say because Ed just kept shouting over him. Mm. And so now we're getting to the uh, skeptical things. There are a few people who adamantly support the Snedekers, one of them being the Warren's nephew, John Zaffis, who is one of the researchers. He's also, um, sure, I didn't write it down, but he collects paranormal objects he's actually pretty well known for it. I can't remember what the fuck his show is called. But he had a (laughs) show about it that I feel like you'd know. Because I knew it when I heard it. And I forgot to write it down. But um, that's cool. So um, he states that he witnessed many dark things happening in that house. Such as feeling cold spots and sensing a presence around him. He claims to also have seen an apparition um starting to form at the top of the stairs and that he smelled a foul odor constantly which made it difficult for him to breathe okay now here's my list okay let's get in that uh is why people are skeptical of the Snedekers and the Warrens and don't believe them so number one there's an argument that the Snedekers knew they were moving into a funeral home there was a sign on the front door that stated it was a funeral home. Oh, my Lord. However, the Snedekers and the Warrens say that the sign was covered with plywood at the time that they moved in. There are a few neighbors that were on the Sally, uh, Sally Jesse Raphael show. Half of them sided with the Snedekers and the other half vehemently denied that it was covered up. So nobody really knows, but that's one the eldest number two the eldest son philip the one that was being treated for cancer also was addicted to illegal substances and had schizophrenia on the sally jesse Raphael show one of the neighbors claimed to do hallucinogenic drugs with philip Mm -hmm. um the snedeker's response to this was that no one else in their home did drugs so he wasn't the only one to see things if you really want to get into it he could have been dosing one i mean (laughs) i mean if you really want to get yeah (laughs) there are possibilities for everything (laughs) yes um philip was also caught fondling his cousins sexually um and uh he was questioned by the police for it during which he admitted that it wasn't the first time he had done so. He said that he would do it at night habitually and never get caught. 
He Mm -hmm. also said that he tried to sleep, quote unquote, with his cousin, um, but it was unsuccessful. And let's not downplay that. He wasn't trying to sleep with her. He was trying to rape her. Yes. So after this is when he was sent to a juvenile detention center and he underwent psychiatric care. Um, So this doesn't prove or disprove anything in the house, but it does give you a little bit because they say his personality drastically changed when he was in the house and um one beforehand his cousins weren't living with him so he didn't have access to them and two drugs are a hell of a thing and they will make you act in ways that you might not normally that is most definitely true yeah so that's why i noted it it's not so much that you know it has really anything to do with the hauntings but it might you know give you a reason for why he was acting the way he was i mean it and could s- also explain what was going on with the cousins and they just 100 percent. i was trying to suppress it and and they were blaming ghost figure yeah yes or you know and, and i this is alleged and i'm not saying that carmen did this at all but carmen the mother might have been like say it was a ghost like do not say it was my son like and then rolled with it um yeah so I just thought that it was pertinent to put that in there and then side note um Philip died from cancer on August 9th 2012 he had been a truck driver and he had four children I don't know how old he was at the time but his cancer did come back and he did die from it really sucks yeah and i hope he didn't do anything gross to his children i really hope not to and nothing was ever said about that so okay number three the snedekers first told everyone that they were not going to write a book about the incidents that happened in their home um but with later urging from the warrens they did and to a lot of people, this seemed like just another ploy for publicity and money. Oh, yeah. Number four, and on that note of publicity and money, the man, or the book, the man who helped write the book is a renowned horror fiction writer. <laughs> um, and the author, his name is Ray Garden, went on record stating that um, the family was giving him conflicting stories and that he was given directions to ignore them a quote from him says i became very frustrated it's hard writing in a non-fiction book when all the people involved are telling you different stories mm-hmm. yeah. oh just just wait we will talk about <laughs> him again um so number five uh, so like I touched on before with the neighbors of the Snedekers, the owner of the house, Daryl Kern, states, so he's the landlord, did this Daryl Kern. He states that the entire thing was a hoax. And when he was interviewed by a local paper, the quote he gave was, it's a fraud. It's a joke. It's a hoax. It's Halloween. Um, He states that all the activity conveniently started when the Snedekers got behind in their rent and that they moved out of the house before the eviction proceedings were complete. Mm. So on the Sally Jesse Raphael show, Carmen says that that's bullshit, that 
they were never behind on rent but the landlord the landlord wasn't on the show she was saying this in response to a neighbor yeah um but the landlord said they were that they were behind she says he only says that because he didn't want his property to have a reputation as being haunted which really he should want his property 100 percent. 100 then he can do ghost tours and stuff yeah and way more are, money there are tons of people like us who would be like cool <laughs> let's go house? heck yeah yeah exactly so number six their upstairs neighbor sandy had been an employee of the real estate agency that helped the Snedekers find their apartment and she said that they were made completely aware that the duplex used to be a funeral home. I mean, she goes on to say that their motive for their story was money and also said that the Snedekers were late on their rent. So there's another person saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, apparently, Sandy said that at first, Carmen told her that she was having nightmares and Sandy recommended that she try some sleeping pills. And that Carmen said, quote, no, it's my father coming to haunt me. I'm calling the Warrens. So it seems like she was just making anything up to get the Warrens involved for Mm -hmm. publicity. A little bit. Yeah, because that was before anything started happening. Happening, quote unquote. (laughs) So number seven, apparently Carmen's answer for why they didn't leave the house sooner changed based on who she was talking to so she would say that the entity would follow her or she would say that she had no idea what was going on in the home that it was all just happening to the kids and not her but she said that the kids were coming to her and you know things did happen to her yeah exactly so (laughs) number eight Like I said, when Ed and Lorraine were asked about the exorcism, they never substantiated anything to prove that one had happened. When questioned about the priest on the Sally Jesse Raphael show, he got super angry for like no reason at all. And he said, quote, Father A, that's the name I give you. I don't have to give you anything. End quote. Mm. He goes on to say that it could be proven by Official records from the chancellery. However, the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Hartford, which covers the area that the Snedekers lived in, reported that no official sanctioned exorcism rite had taken place there. Mm. Oh, gotcha there. (laughs) Right? So, number nine. As Ed warned, this, 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 this. This is what gets me. This is <laughs> Wait, what made me. This? This. This. Number right. nine. <laughs> this this is what I heard about this case. Which made me question the Warrens. Cool. So as Ed Warren uh, was walking off the Sally Jesse Raphael set because he was pissed, a reporter asked him, to stay and answer some more questions for the sake of improving his credibility and ed said quote i don't care about credibility pal end quote and that part 
leads into the biggest reason I don't trust the Warrens. <laughs> when he was working with Ray Garden on the Snedeker's book, he pointed out, so Ray Garden pointed out to Ed the inconsistencies in the stories, and Garden claims that Ed responded by saying, quote, oh, they're crazy. All the people who come to us are crazy. You think sane people would come to us? <laughs> and then after he said that, he said, just use what works. And then he also said, quote, make up the rest. And quote. Oh, gosh. Another quote Ray Garden said, uh, Ray Garden claimed Ed said was, quote, just make it up and make it scary. End quote. Mm. That is what gets me. Mm-hmm. That guy. Not only is he like, you know, making up some, but he's basically degrading all the people he claims that his purpose is to help. He's calling them all crazy. Mm -hmm. So obviously, this is like a secondhand quote from Ray Garden. And it can't be like substantiated by anybody else but i don't know why that guy would have i don't know what he would gain from lying i mean maybe publicity for the book that he because he did write their book but i don't know i just find that with with every thing that i've seen ed warren in it seems like something that he would say oh definitely yeah so he i don't know that's just kind of one of those things, I guess. Mm-hmm. So number 10. Another contradiction that I found was that Kelly uh, on the Sally Jesse Raphael show said that she was holding her rosary in her hand and the entity pried her hand open. But then I watched another interview that was done in 2017. So much, much later. And she retells the story. And both her and Carmen say that she was wearing the rosary and the entity yanked the rosary off from around her neck. Then Carmen says that this is when she called the Warrens. But on the show, she said that she called the Warrens after she had been possessed. Mm -hmm. I know these are just like tiny things and you can forget things after so much time, but they're just two inconsistencies that I noticed after watching both the interviews um and so the last thing on my list is that no one has lived in the um that no one that has lived in the house since them has ever experienced any paranormal activity you could say like um one of the audience members pointed it out actually that it's following the family Mm -hmm. but that doesn't make much sense because why would it have just started to happen at the house and the Snedekers believe it did have something to do with the house? So I don't know. It's just but one of those things. Also, have they reported anything since? Um, I'm actually going to get into it. Oh, okay. So uh, side note, in the interview from 2017, um, as Carmen was being interviewed... The crucifix that was nailed to the wall behind her came crashing down. (laughs) And she said, when you talk about it, 
things kind of just start to manifest. And as the crew continued to fill, um, to do their interview with her, they said that a lot of weird things started happening. Like they felt cold spots and they felt like they had to leave. Hmm. So there's activity going on during that interview. And she says, I guess that when she talks about it, things manifest. Why didn't anything manifest on the Sally show? Right. I have no idea. I I don't even know. Hmm. So Another interesting thing from this 2017 interview was that Carmen said that the Warrens told her to go public about the story because the publicity is what would get the church involved faster. Lorraine is also interviewed in this, and she says that they recommended it because they knew the Catholic Church hated publicity and they would want to get it taken care of as soon as possible. Hmm. But they didn't. There's no 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 documents. (laughs) No. Carmen says that the Warrens forced the Snedeker family to do the book. That she didn't want to have anything to do with it. And that she had um, basically no rights to her own story. Maybe because she couldn't tell a consistent story. (laughs) Um, She says she was also called only a handful of times about it. And then she goes on to say that after the house was exercised, uh, she wanted to disconnect from the Warrens and everybody involved with the case. She says that the Warrens only wanted the money. They didn't care about her or her kids. In her words, she says that they didn't care if they made it out of that alive or dead. She says that the Warrens just wanted to use her story for financial gain. Lorraine talks immediately after this. And she says that it was nothing personal. They were a nice family and all, but they just moved on to the next case, um, which doesn't really address the financial gain nope, aspect not whatsoever. At all. And, and except that they wanted more money, so they went on to the next. One hundred percent. She does also say that she thinks it's horrible what Ray Garten and the Senecers are now saying about her and Ed. And, sh- and especially Ed, because Ed is not around to defend himself anymore, mm. which I get. Neither but... is she now. No, she's not. Um, at the end of the 2017 documentary, it gives a few updates about the people involved in the case. And it states that Carmen and Al, like I said, got a divorce in 2005 and that Carmen is now a, quote, spiritual advisor, end quote big eye roll um (laughs) it then states that lorraine warren claims that all the documents related to the haunting were conveniently she doesn't say conveniently but i say conveniently destroyed (laughs) during a basement flood Uh, and that is the snedekers and i'm sorry that this one was a lot more serious um just you know rape and things like that are not funny and even though it's definitely an unconventional situation like it's still not funny if if someone says that happened to them there's no proof against it there's no proof for it so just kind of stick to that middle ground so what do you think about it i can't believe it <laughs> oh, I, i'm I'm the exact same way. I don't believe it. I want to. Like, it's a freaking mortuary. 
it should have something fun, right? Yeah, but I can't and, believe that they didn't know. You know, if they saw all of those things while moving in, what would you think was going on? I know. I yeah, that gets me. <laughs> that really gets me. Trains in the floor, like really, just a giant group shower or something. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I mean, here's my thing about it: is me and Mormon were actually talking about this last night. So they were financially struggling. Yeah. They had to pay for their son's chemo treatments and Mm -hmm. all the money and the gas and everything. We can't say we wouldn't do the same. Like if we were trying to pay for it, that we understand. I I do understand that. And um, I don't want to say that she's making up rape scenarios and things like that. But if she was like that's a little far for very far for you know the publicity and the money you could have said something else like it's that's not a but I and like I said I am not gonna discredit her story if she thinks that 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 happened I did see a lot of neighbors say that they believe that the Snedekers believe that they were haunted and I also saw one I forgot to mention that she said she went over there and visited and something did happen not something super crazy but something paranormal did happen and she thinks that Carmen like started talking about it but it just kind of like snowballed into this thing that she could no longer control like and everything just started getting like super big and going national (laughs) and all of that and so she says that she thinks Carmen just kind of leaned into it I don't know but uh it's just a really interesting uh, case. And I didn't really know very much about the Warrens. I had heard this, that part that I told you for like number nine, where he had said all those things to uh, Ray Garden. I'd heard that. And, but most everything I've heard about them is so positive. <laughs> and so when I heard that, that's what really like got me into this case in particular because I was like what the fuck like he is he is not who he was portrayed to be like especially in like the conjuring universe and all of that like you think he's this amazing guy that they're both amazing people he and uh, Lorraine and it just doesn't seem that way to me yeah but then again the author dude could just be making that up to sell oh, 100%. more books or he probably got in a fight with him and was like, well, I'm going to tell people you said this. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, that could 100% happen. Still not a fan of the Warrens just <laughs> from everything combined. But yes. that particular part, you're absolutely right. He could just be pulling shit out of his ass, you know. And uh, that would be very disappointing. I don't you should not do that to people definitely not because that's just rude you're taking advantage <laughs> that's just rude. yes um so you know let us know what you think sorry that i sound like death this episode a little and kermity it yeah it wasn't very laughy laughy but it was <laughs> fun um let us know what you think and also um don't forget we really would like listener submissions if you have a story about the paranormal or cryptids or urban legends 
um, you can send them on over to us and we'd love to hear them. You can send them to us at uh, thisislegendpod at gmail.com. You could visit our website at thisislegendpod.com. And you can also go to our Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at thisislegendpod. Keep it spooky, classy, and sassy. But most of all, keep it legendary. Goodbye. Bye.